Welcome to the Legacy Leaders Podcast. Are you doing the best for your client to help them create their legacy? Are you creating a plan that goes far beyond finances to help people ensure that it becomes the driving force behind all decisions? On this podcast, hosts Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller will help you with growing your practice and your client's peace of mind. Together, they bring the best and brightest minds to share with you how to help your clients develop their best legacy. And now, here are your hosts, Katie Beth and Stan. Welcome back to the Legacy Leader Podcast with your hosts, Stan Miller and Katie Beth Hand. Today, we have award-winning entrepreneur, author, mentor, and CEO, Diana Kokoska. Diana, thank you so much for joining us. We are so glad to have you with us on the podcast. It is great to be here. Just hearing a little bit about you and how you started this, you're helping so many people. I'm excited to be here. Perfect. Well, we are excited to have you. So for some of our listeners that may not know who you are or what it is that you do, I was hoping we could jump in with just a little bit about your background, kind of the industry that you started in and where you came from, and then how you've turned that into the career and what you're doing now. Well, Katie, it's interesting. I actually started in the grocery store with my parents. We had a family-owned business. And on the magazine rack at age five, I was told that if someone picked up a car magazine, go and look for every magazine that had a car on it and hand it to them and say, if you like that one, you'll like this too, right? And so it was always upselling. If they came through with a grocery cart and it had ice cream in it, you would say, do you want chocolate syrup, caramel syrup, or would you rather have root beer for floats? And so I always believed that you could add value. And then I got into leadership and I realized you could add value to people. Now, my life kind of took a little bit of a turn, I guess. I was really wanting to get into real estate and I couldn't afford it. And I was up with one of my sick children watching TV and on came this auction for PBS. And they were auctioning off a broker real estate course. Oh my goodness, I ran to my checkbook, which I don't believe people should let their checkbook do their thinking for them. Yet I had to that night. I can bid $50. And I thought, really? $50 for a thousand plus dollar class? And I started to talk myself out of it. And I heard my parents' voice saying, nothing ventured, nothing gained. Well, I bid. Thank goodness it was two o'clock in the morning because nobody else was thinking about going to real estate, Katie and Stan. So I won. And then I got up the next morning and went, I won. I can't even afford a babysitter. What am I going to do now? Right. Well, back in those days, real estate was a man's world. Went to 12 offices before someone would hire me. Put my kids in a little red wagon since I couldn't afford the babysitter. And I went door to door. And who would have thought that that would have taken me clear to the C-suite, building the world's largest coaching and training company and helping to build the world's largest real estate company? That is incredible. What a twist. I love the plot twist in there and, and the background story and that you did it literally with kids in tow. That is incredible. So tell us a little bit about your leadership training and the coaching that you offer. Well, thank you so much. You know, first of all, we all read books of being a leader, you're a reader. And I read a book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, and it really captured my attention. So I found out John Maxwell was speaking in Dallas at the time. This was back in the 1990s. And I went and listened to him. And at that point, I knew if I wanted to know about leadership, 
I not only needed to read, which there weren't many books out at that time. It was all about management. Peter Drucker was the big guy at that point. But I knew this guy had something to offer. And boy, I just absolutely went wherever he was. I would sell books for him to hear him speak. And I have all of his books. I continually read. And I talk with a lot of other leaders. I think leaders need to collaborate with other leaders and to be open about what is happening. People that they can trust, like an inner circle that they can go and say, hey, this is happening. How have you handled that in the past? So to make it uh, kind of short, just to put it to bluntly, is I'm studying leadership every single day and I'm writing. In fact, I'm starting my next book. My Becoming More book is just coming out and my next book is going to be The Coaching Leader because taking coaching into the leadership role will allow our people to become more. We'll get more production out of them and we'll help them have a better life, which I believe is what leadership is. That's great. So you touched on it just a little bit, but becoming more, you can't get better until you get to different. Tell our listeners a little bit about who that book is really targeted towards and what they could expect from reading that. Great question. First of all, if you want something more in your life, if there's just something that's kind of missing, you're not exactly certain, maybe you're not thinking as abundant as you would like, or you're not as grateful as you would like, or you know somebody it's a little bit too entitled, right? It's a book for them. It's a book that will take you through this model that I sat and thought about. There's got to be a model to follow that could take me from not affording a babysitter to being able to afford things I never even dreamed of back at the time. And finding that model, it's so simplistic. It starts with our thoughts, which go into beliefs and values. They encompass and help our emotions, which make up our mindset and our perception of life. All of that couples with our words, our character, our goals, making our energy and our personal growth come about, which then gives us a new story and a legacy. So the person I would say that needs to pick up this book right away is somebody that is looking to either become more themselves or help other people become more in their life. I love that. Stan, I've stolen all of the questions so far. I'll be quiet and let you have a chance to ask Diane some of your questions. Yeah, so we could talk for we we could talk for a lot more time than we have available to talk today. I, I, I promise you. I want to get practical for a second and find out how are you doing this today? You take on I know you do speaking engagements. You take on one on one coaching consultant. I mean, how how are you working now to actually implement these ideas in the lives of of leaders? Well, I'm going to take us back for just a moment, Stan, because I started a coaching company and was brought into a company that was actually failing at the time. And I started by myself, one-on-one coaching, bringing these ideas that I now have in a book to folks. Well, building that to 357 coaches, I stepped out of the coaching And I started teaching other coaches that did one-on-one coaching, then 80 coaches that did group coaching, and 57 coaches that actually went into offices, into buildings, into real estate companies, teaching the people 
the things that I felt, which was about mindset primarily, because that's 90% of our success. Right now, I just help people to call me and through the speaking engagements primarily. I still love coaching. I love to teach coaches the models and systems that allow people to coach to their highest potential. So uh, I'm kind of on the back burner of that, just helping everyone that gives me a call. I've noticed some of the some of the core concepts and core techniques that you use really, really intriguing. One thing I know about you is that you you recognize a value that I've given a lot of talks about myself, and that is the power of gratitude to be a, a, a success catalyst. Talk about that. You know, we can't be in negativity and be grateful at the same time. Our brain won't allow it. So I believe that when you get up in the morning, before your feet ever hit the floor, if you can just think of five things that you're grateful for, and throughout the day, we all have those negative things that hit us. We have times that we just want to scream or yell at somebody or maybe even hit a pillow, right? Yet, if we just get up out of our chair, walk to the copy machine, thinking about things that we're thankful for, and then on the way back, say, I am grateful for, and just reiterate all those things, all of a sudden, we're in such a better mood and we can handle whatever is pressing us at the time. Otherwise, anxiety and stress, I mean, which is an all-time high. I personally believe by putting gratitude in our life, anxiety goes down. Depression is not allowed in your life when you're grateful because you're thinking about other people. And it puts great chemicals. See, every time we have a thought, a chemical is released into our body. And those chemicals are stored into our cells up to three days. Now, the interesting part when we think about this is alcohol is a chemical, right? Yeah. And drugs are a chemical. And if you can get hooked on alcohol and you get, get hooked on drugs, I personally believe we can get hooked on our thoughts. So when we keep our thoughts of gratitude, putting great chemicals into our system, we not only have great thoughts, we have great health to boot. That is certainly was words. Sorry, go ahead, Stan. Yeah, yeah. Something else that you do that I found personally really intriguing. You're really into NLP, and I know a little bit about it. You know, I went to a weekend coaching class 25 or 30 years ago, and I was really kind of blown away with the power of what you could do with those techniques. But I think you've taken it way further than I have. So tell me how you use neuro-linguistic programming in, in the work that you do. Thank you for that question, because this is very important to me. When we can help someone overcome fear, we can help them become better, have more confidence, because confidence is an energy that just makes people beautiful. Let's just face it, right? There's a context and resource I talk about in the book, and I've seen this over and over again, Stan and Katie, where I put down a piece of paper that says context and a piece of paper that says resource. And I ask someone, what is the time in your life that you just weren't confident, something that they want to get over? And they express it. And I go deeper and deeper. And I have them stand on the context page of what happened, how it happened, how they felt, getting all that negativity to boil up, right? Then ask some questions to do what we call a pattern interrupt, like uh, spell the name of the street that you live on backwards, just to get their brain kind of going different. 
And then they go on to resource. Now on resource, I have them bring up a time in their life when they felt confident. They were just at an all-time high. And the person I write about in this book literally would not make calls. She wanted to help people, but she would not make any calls. The resource that she went to was when she was a runner in Las Vegas, Nevada, and she pictured herself on the starting line, and she knew that she was just going to ace the race, which she did. She won many races, and we brought all of those feelings back up. And we kept going back and forth from context to resource until finally I could see in her eyes she was ready. And we brought the resource back to the context and now had her make phone calls. Oh, my word. She blew everybody away. And when you read about it, it's in her own words in the book. She definitely says she walked in thinking she didn't belong in the room because it was leaders amongst leaders. And when she went to sit down, she knew she belonged in this room. She went from having one of the lowest offices production-wise and recruiting-wise to one of the top in, in Southern California. So by, by connecting all that negativity with all that positivity, what you found is that the, the positive thoughts effectively wiped out the negative, leaving the positivity. Right. Just making new neural pathways in the brain, because as you already know, the more we have a thought, the more that embeds in our brain, much like walking across the grass, right? You keep walking on a trail, it goes deeper and deeper, making a rut. Well, that's the way our brain works, because nerve cells that fire together, wire together. The greatest thing that I've learned in NLP and neural and is the fact that nerve cells that no longer fire together, no longer wire together. So we're taking things that we don't want to do, replacing those with things we do want to do, and allowing ourselves, training our brain to help us achieve what we desire. So NLP is a, like a pretty, sounds like a pretty powerful tool in your toolbox. What are, what are a couple, one or two other four techniques that you use to bring about the, this mind shift? Well, there's many in the book. One that I can think of that helped me in my leadership, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity or a challenge where two people under your leadership maybe didn't see eye to eye. I don't know. Maybe you've been a leader that's never had that happen. I can't imagine yet. Uh, there's Not, not in the last hours. There's an exercise in the book. It's called the three chairs. And there was there were a couple of people that just didn't see each other's perspective. Of course, they called it arguing or whatever. I call it, they just had different perspectives about what was happening. Well, the three chair exercise allows you to take someone in and describe this situation from their point of view. The second chair is from the other person's point of view. You actually put yourself in their shoes and you describe what you think they think is happening. Then you go to the observer chair. Now, of course, I give the questions that you ask as they move from chair to chair. And that third chair, as the observer, they say, this is what I saw happening here, and here's what I saw happening there. Then you go back to the first chair you were in, yourself, 
and you say, if this were to happen, how would you handle it differently? And I saw two people that were at odds with each other that literally became great friends. And it was because they were able, and both of them went through the three-chair exercise, to be able to see that there is a different perspective in life. There is a different way to look at it and a different way to act around it. I've never heard of that. That sounds incredible to me. It, it wow. does. And I'm, I'm sure you, and, and is that one of the things you talk about in your book, Diana? Yes, I actually give them the questions to ask. I draw out the three chairs. I'm a big person on models. I think that when you follow the model, it makes it so simple. This you may also touch in your book, but I, I saw it online and thought it was really interesting. Tell us a little bit about your commitment to discomfort. That's not something a lot of people, I would say, would consider commitment to. So is that something you talk about in your book? And tell us a little bit about that now. Well, you know, everything that we want is uphill. I mean, let's face it, it is outside our comfort zone. And we have uphill, well, John Maxwell says we have uphill goals with downhill habits. And when we get outside of our comfort zone, like I did today, I started recording my audio book. Oh, Katie. Ah, <laughs> that is not something I have done. That is something Stan has done and can tell you the many hours he spent in the studio doing that. Certainly, certainly can cause some discomfort. Well, Stan, yes, I was outside my comfort zone most of today. And what I think a lot of people don't realize is that they build bars around themselves. They live in a cage that they have so carefully built with the way that they think. And those bars hold them in the comfort zone. That cage is the comfort zone. And they don't want to step outside of it, even knowing that every opportunity they want lives outside of that cage. We as coaches, we as leaders, we as people that want to add value to other folks, we've got to coax them outside of that cage, get them into their discomfort level, and make certain with the words that they use around that that we help train their brain to be more comfortable. Just like lifting weight, you're actually tearing your muscles with microscopic tears, and that's how you build them. And so for a visual, maybe just pushing yourself outside your comfort zone, you're literally making microscopic tears in your brain, so to speak. And yet, when you accomplish that, now you're at a different level. And the thing that was once a ceiling is now the floor you stand upon and you have a new ceiling to obtain. I love that. I love that. The, another question I had for you is you seem to put a really big emphasis on mentoring and how mentoring is a crucial step to personal growth. Tell us a little bit about your background, someone who mentored you, someone that really sparked your passion to be a mentor and just your thoughts on why mentoring is such a crucial part of being a leader. Well, in every story, there is a victim, a villain, a hero, and some stories include a coach and a mentor. When I was young, my father actually sold tickets for the American Motivational Society, where Cabot Roberts, Norman Vincent Peale, Zig Ziglar, uh, Art Linkletter was actually there as well. And all these people would get on stage for eight hours during the day, and each one would speak from 30 minutes to an hour. And I would take copious notes. Well, Jim Rohn said one day, you need to have mentors in your life, people that you look up to, 
people that you grasp their words and implement them into your life. Listening to Earl Nightingale's The Strangest Secret. He was a mentor for me, even though I never met him. I listened. I wore out that that record. And uh, Zig Ziglar being at our home was a mentor. John Maxwell has been my most recent mentor. And I've been able to travel the world with him, helping to teach values to kids. Gosh, I think without a mentor, who do you look up to? I mean, my dad was the biggest mentor I had. And when he passed away, obviously, I filled that position with other folks. But I would ask, who are you listening to? This podcast is a really good example. When they listen to this, they're allowing you to mentor them. And if we don't listen to great people and we become like the people that we hang out with, that we listen to, then who are we going to become? I think we need mentors in our life that help us become all that we can. And by the way, there's a thing. I, I majored in physics and math. And so in physics, there's a phase of entanglement. And phase of entanglement is today, as you and I speak, each one of us, Stan, Katie, and myself, we will take something from each other, and that will become a part of us. And the listeners today, they will take something from each of us. That phase of entanglement says you cannot interact with another particle without taking away some of that particle with you. And that literally is the scientific proof that we become like the people we hang out with and listen to. I love that. And it really makes you, it changes your perspective on, and makes you uh, much more careful in choosing those that you spend a lot of time with. That is, yeah. that is great. Stan, I can see you have another question brewing. I interrupted. Go ahead. Yeah, I know. And we're running out of time, but you did mention teaching values to kids and whatever, whatever you, whatever I send you a copy of my book, you'll read it and see that that's a big part of what we've written about. And I'm curious to hear just, and I mean, not everything you know, obviously, but just an idea or two that would be really useful to grandparents and parents who really want to do. What, what advice do you have, that, you know, practical advice about teaching values to kids? Well, I love that question because kids to me, just, they mean so much. And we get to help program their mind as adults. Right now, they're getting programmed by social media, television, who knows what, right? And uh, of course, you know, I'm going to put a plug in for my book. I would say get the Becoming More book because there's a chapter that goes limiting values and liberating values and putting those liberating values into children, much like John Maxwell is doing with his Eileen program where they learn values, then they implement the values, then they lead with values. And it's actually a curriculum right in the schools that they have put in in many countries around the world and are now bringing to some of the states uh, in America, which I'm very excited about. But grandparents, I think it's about sitting down and you know, just talking with the kids, but playing games with them to teach them different values help. Playing games with them, well, for example, I played the game called the match game with my uh, granddaughter. It's where you put cards down on the table face down and you turn one card over and you turn another card over. And if they match, you get to keep them, right? And if they don't match, you got to turn them back over for the next time. Well, of course, how do you teach somebody values and energy? You just say whatever energy you're putting out, 
it's a match. You get to keep it. Whatever value you're putting out, it's a match. You get to keep it. And if you have a value and somebody else doesn't have that value, you need to turn it over, put it back, and stay away from it. Because, you know, you can get along with people that don't have the same beliefs as you. It's challenging to get along with people that don't have some of the same values that you do. That is a great, wise nugget of wisdom. Certainly. Certainly right there. Okay. I have one more question for you. And it's a big one that we love to ask our podcast guests. So through the work that you are doing now, coaching leaders, building up leaders, training the next generation, what is it you hope your legacy will be? That she made a difference and added value to people. That's it. It was plain and simple. And I'm going to challenge everyone that's listening. Write out your eulogy. I know that sounds awful. Yet when you write your eulogy and you just keep breaking that down, that's how I came up with that. Because it went from something long to shorter to a paragraph to a sentence. Uh, I just want to be known for making a difference and adding value. I love that. I love that. Is there anything we didn't cover that you would like our listeners to know about? Well, there's so much. And at the same time, we're just going to make it short because I know they have things to do because they're leaders, you know. I'm glad that leaders listen to this. Leaders are servants. You know, I laugh at people that, oh, I got a title, I'm a leader. No, you just became a servant of other people (laughs) because our job is to help them become lower, to become all that they can be. And I think it's kind of, well, I have children. And if I take those children and say, hey, you're going to go to work over at this company, I kind of expect as a parent that that leader is going to help my child become the very best that they can be. And so as leaders, I think we've got to look at every single person that, that follow us as how can I help them achieve what they desire, even if it's not what I desire for them, which sometimes means you get them out of your employment because they want to do other things. Yet, if that's what they truly desire, don't you? We owe that to them. Absolutely. Great stuff. Well, everybody, thank you so, so much for listening. This has been the Legacy Leaders Podcast with your hosts, Dan Miller, and Katie Beth Hand. Our guest today was Diana Kokoska. And for more information about Diana and the work that she does and her book, you can visit dianakokoska.com or becomingmorebook.com. And for convenience, we will link both of those in the show notes for you. Diana, it was such a pleasure to meet you. We may have to have you back on again sometime. There are so many talking points we didn't even get to today. But thank you so much for joining us. We really enjoyed having thank you on the show. You so much. Appreciate you both very much. You've been listening to the Legacy Leaders Podcast with Katie Beth Hand and Stan Miller. For more information on them and the show, please visit PinnacleLegacyLaw.com. If you like what you've learned today, do share the program with your friends and subscribe wherever podcasts are found.